Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Um, and it's the 10th episode of our sixth series. My name's Sue McDonald, and I'm the, mater- the curator for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals. And it's my pleasure this evening to be chairing. And we're joined by Rosemary McCarthy and Juan and Jacqueline Trainer, And we're going to be looking at the special needs of refugee women and babies and what they need from us and, and just to help us. And I think this is especially um, important at this time. But of course, what we always do to our guests is put them on the spot before we ever start and ask them for a little moment of the week to share. And this is kind of to lift our spirits a little bit, hopefully, because I'm hoping that none of our guests have a, a sad moment of the week. I hope it's a happy, nice moment of the week. So, but should we start off with one, perhaps? Hi everyone, um, my name is Juan, I'm 43 years old, I'm originally from Malaysia. Um, it's really an honour for, for tonight, thank you for the invitations. Thank you, okay, is that your moment, this is your moment? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm quite nervous. So. Oh, don't worry, don't worry, we're, we're, all, we're all friends t- today with us So together. pardon me, and, and uh, um, I have my little one here, 15 months old, he's on the push chair, so you will keep seeing me moving. <laughs> I think this might be your moment of the week, is having your little one going around, and that's lovely, and I've seen yes. him this morning, and he's a lovely little boy, so that, yeah. he is your moment of the week, I think. Thank yes, you for that yes. one. Well, we're, okay. we're really pleased you're with us today, and Thank so you. I'm going to put, now I should put Rose on the spot for a moment of the week. Um, well, I think um, mine has been spending the day with my granddaughter. In fact, I've had two days because sadly her mother was not very well today, but it was our bonus so that um, we had an extra day with her. And she's only a year old and an absolute joy. I can't believe how much I love being a granny. <laughs> so um, just spending time with her and getting loads of hugs and cuddles is just fantastic. Oh, lovely. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. And that's perfect for mental health. Mm, I think, isn't it? That's not lovely. Definitely. Thank you, Rose. That's lovely. How about Jacqueline, who's who's in the background with us this evening? Um, my moment of the week, I, I've got to concur with Rose in that spending, I've spent the day with my grandson, which has been lovely, but working, um, volunteering in a hub, um, looking after, or gathering things to send to Ukraine, which I'll tell you about later. Um, I have two little girls from the local primary school that have just come in after school every day to help us. And they've just been adorable. How gorgeous. That's lovely. That's lovely. It's so nice to see everyone so involved in this and feeling it very much at the heart. That's lovely. Thank you, Jacqueline. That's smashing. We're coming to Jacqueline right at the end, but not right at the end, but near the end. So we're just going to, I'm just going to do my usual reminder of where we came from. And that's not sort of the Adam and Eve bit, but this is where we started the maternity and midwifery hour two years ago. This is coming up to the third year now, uh, really in response to the pandemic to provide connection and some continuing profession development for midwives, for um, student midwives, for people who want to become midwives, for mums, anyone who was involved in the maternity services so they could connect and have a kind of digestible bit of information because I think at the time people were very busy very stressed and we weren't able to meet face to face of course so they're having this connection has been really good and we're supported by Matflix who kind of keep everything organized and they make sure everything's recorded so that after this you can access everything that you want and this is perfect for those of you midwives who are doing projects student midwives doing a little bit of a dissertation or an assignment there's so much information you can get on just about everything. You just need to have to search through 
what you're looking for. And it's all free. So it's fantastic. And remember, this is free to attend. You can share it with your colleagues. And we actually like you to share and really have a good discussion. That actually helps you, those midwives who are doing revalidation, uh, just to do your little revalidation paperwork of having a discussion. Really good to do that. So do share. So at the moment, it's, I'm not sure, we can't say that COVID is at an end. I think some folk think it is, but it's still there. People are still poorly with it. Some people are quite poorly and some people are just a bit poorly, but not well enough to work or go out. And it, it's, it, seems, it seems to be a particularly nasty bug, as we all know. So it has meant that the people are in the service working hard, covering the gaps and getting and very tired. The feeling I've got when I've talked talking to midwives and to ner- my nurse colleagues is people are kind of at that point, they're very tired. And it feels as though it's never going to end. None of it's going to end. But of course, it will. But it'll be a kind of different ending at that point. And I'm just want to say to you, first of all, thank you for keeping on going and doing what you do so beautifully and with such care and love but also I want to say care for yourselves and care for your the people around you together because that's what you need to keep your mental health going and your good health going and just keep everything together if you can so thank you Um, and remember other people are stressed so be kind to your colleagues as well because it's you know when people snap at you it's often not because they're just snappy well, they might be, but it's more often that people are very stressed. So be kind. Now, I'm, I have to do my little news feature. And it's lovely news because uh, Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe is coming home and um, Anush, no, now Anushe Asuri, who has also been freed today, coming home to the UK, which is fantastic news. It's so nice to get a bit of very positive news. My other bit of news is it's sign language week. And I know there's a lot of midwives who are into sign language. I don't know how to do it fully. I know a couple of of words, but not not very much. But there is uh, some resources on your resource sheet, which will be available. And there's a wonderful poem on there, which sounds funny, but it's a it's a a sign language poem, but it's spoken as well. So you can understand. I think it'd be a really good way of how to learn sign language. And it's a very powerful poem. So do access that. I put the address on there, as well as all the resources from our wonderful speakers today. They'll be there. And it's also Safe Asleep Week. So check out the Lullaby uh, Trust, because, that, again, that's something that's very important for midwives to know about and share with women and their babies and families. And it's the kind of remembering the ABC, the always sleep with your baby on the back, the back, have a clear cot and sleep um, space. And of course, I have to have my happiness, my happiness calendar, which is now March. I also have put the address of that on the resources. And today it's get get really absorbed with an interesting creator or creative act- activity. Very good on your mental health, again, for sort of thinking about it. And of course, if you if you're not quite sure about creativity, there's a lovely journaling book from Laura Godfrey Edwards, which is Godfrey Isaacs. Isaacs, I beg your pardon, Laura. Sorry. Um, But that's a wonderful book because that's a real dip in book for developing creativity. Fantastic. So this week I'm I'm moving fast. I'm talking, I feel as though I'm talking very quickly, but I wanted to highlight obviously over the last few weeks with what's happening in Ukraine and actually over the last summer. And it seems as though there's always some terrible war or conflict going on in the world, which is meaning that we have refugees and women, and especially women and children who are trying to escape from conflict and violence. And they're especially vulnerable. And we know that and, and many midwives will be um, looking after women in this kind of um, grouping. And so that's what's going to be the meat of our discussion this evening. And I'm really delighted. We've got two fantastic speakers to start with, as well as Jacqueline, who's doing a very interesting project you'll be interested in. Now, Rose, now she's already shared one of her moments of the week. She's a, she's a mum of five, a granny of two with a third on the way. So she's going to be very busy. Now, since 1991, she's taught NCT antenatal classes and in 2003 specialised in teaching free antenatal classes for people um, 
seeking asylum and refugees. So she worked for the Refugee Council on three projects, the Health Befriending Network, specialising supporting pregnant women and mothers, resettlement, and as the manager of the Health Access for Refugee programme. She did take early retirement in 2021. I don't think she's really retired at all, actually. She's a founding member of the Lead City of Sanctuary, the maternity stream of Sanctuary and the health stream of Sanctuary, which I think she's going to share with you and is still very actively involved in all three. In 2019, she received the Sue Ryder Woman of the Year Award for Education. She's very passionate about supporting women seeking asylum and refugees to have a a voice, touch hearts and change minds. And with experts by experience, this is one, and she's given awareness raising training on caring for women seeking asylum and refugees to thousands of people and plans to continue doing so. And together with um, Rose is Wan Abdullah, and she's a busy mum of eight children. She's seeking asylum from Malaysia, and she's suffered, as many women have, in ways that no mum should suffer. And as a result, she has uh, problems with mental health. She received great support in the UK, and as a result, is a spokeswoman for Leeds Perinatal Mental Health Team and a promoter of mental health amongst her peers. So welcome to Rose and Juan. We're so pleased that you're able to be with us this evening. The screen is now yours. Thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to to be here with you. Um, Becoming a mum should be a wonderful time in any woman's life. As Chantella Karimuth said, when I gave birth to my son, it was something else, something more than happiness. And that's what mums throughout the world feel because we love our babies. I loved it so much. I went on to have five children uh, and I trained as an NCT teacher and been teaching over 30 years. I feel I know a little bit about giving birth in the UK, but what if you didn't? What if you were a stranger in a foreign land? You just imagine for a moment that you were forced to flee your country for fear of your life. And you had to leave everything you know behind, your family, maybe your children, your friends, your home, your culture, your food, your car, your career, everything, and start all over again. And you have to run for fear of your life, maybe having a really, really difficult journey. And you might be one of the few, which is less than 1% of the world refugees, who actually end up in the UK. Nobody chooses to be a refugee. And just imagine the barriers you might have to face to start life again. What sort of welcome would you get in the UK? Maybe some people would ignore you. Others might tell you to go back to where you came from. We've got enough foreigners here. But just imagine that people reached out and welcomed you were kind, showed you the way, included you. How amazingly shocking would that be? Well, in the City of Sanctuary, that's what we're about. It's a a movement that hopes to create places that are proud to welcome people seeking asylum and refugee. And within that movement, we've got a subgroup called the Maternity Stream of Sanctuary. And in that, we focus on welcoming and including pregnant women and their families. Now, the women who come have a wealth of knowledge and experience, but it's very different to what people born in the UK may go through. In what ways? Well, many don't have pregnancy tests. As one woman said to me, don't women in the UK trust their bodies? made me smile but actually they're not obsessed with when their baby is coming as we are that due date and they have no idea that we want them to see a midwife before a certain time maternity is considered women's business men you've done your bit but now butt out and it's a real women supporting women culture many come from cultures where you have to pay for care and because of that they only see a health professional Um, if they are ill and they're not ill when they're pregnant, so why do they need to see anybody? It also means that they may not know about preventative medicine because, again, you have to pay for it. If they see a health professional, it tends to be a doctor, not a midwife, 
or not a midwife as we would understand the term. And they don't seem to understand the term GPs or having to register with them. It's a, a different concept altogether. Mental health, that's not recognised in many cultures. Many give birth at home, but it tends to be because it's cheaper and they haven't had good antenatal care, so it is riskier. If they give birth in hospital, it can be a very, very different experience than uh, giving birth in hospital in the UK. And sadly, as I'm sure you know, in many third world countries, they have high maternal and infant death rates. But even here in the UK, a quarter of maternal deaths are to non-UK women and 12% of these are refugees. Now, that's a shocking figure. And I believe we need to sell midwifery to keep mums and babies safe. Now, now, what I'd like to do is to hand over to Wan, who is seeking asylum, who's going to share her experiences of motherhood um, with you. So, Wan, over to you now. All right. Thank you, Rose. Um, hi, everyone. Um, it is an honor for, for this opportunity. Actually, to be honest, I'm quite nervous. <laughs> um, pardon if my English is not so good. I'm still learning. Um, I, I, I call my story my healing journey. So today I'm, I'm feeling happy on top of nervous to share with all of you about my story. Okay, next slide, Rose. Okay, this is a picture of me when I arrived last three years ago in June 2019. I was 10 weeks pregnant and on the second day, I was miscarriage. Maybe it's possibly due to long journey. It took a 12 hours direct flight. And to be honest, it's a quite stressful journey for me. Um, I'm not voluntarily come to UK. I've been uh, falsely by my ex-partner to come to UK and I have to leave my other children there. So somehow it's a lot of pressure for me there, but I'm not really aware that I'm struggling with mental health condition that time. So this is the nurse, actually the one person that, I, that I've been dealing with. Uh, I still remember her name is Phil. Hopefully one day I'm able to meet her again to say many, many thanks, because I was really scared on that day when I went to the Hillingdon Hospital because of the bleeding. And they, they told me that if the bleeding continued, then they might be doing the NC, did the NC to me. So I was horribly scared because we don't have money back in my country if any operations and someone, if you are foreigner and we just arrive at UK, we not even have, have a proper document from home office that time. Me and my ex-partner was really scared because we don't have money to be honest. So it costs like thousand in my country. So uh, somehow we, we only have a, like a border, a border interview board from the border police uh, in, in airport that time. So, the, the doctor said that we can just uh, show her the proof that we've been applying for asylum. So it was free. I was like, oh my God, this, is it real? And this nurse, Pill, she's, she's actually somehow triggered a moment, which is I, I wasn't talkative like this before. I was really deep in dark in my sorrowness, in my sadness due to the domestic abuse that I've been facing for almost like five years. So somehow I didn't talk to her anything. Uh, she just looked into my eyes, holding my hand, and she just said that you will be fine. You are now in UK. And then I just feel like what she's talking about. So. It's something like make me question someone that I don't know, but just hold my hand, look into my eyes and told me all these things, you know, because in my country, when I come from, hospital staff is not really friendly. They are like some kind of like overstressed or something like that. So we, we some, some sort, we, we don't really talk much with the hospital staff there. So it, it made me feel 
there is might be a tiny hope for me. So next slide, Rose. Okay. Um, when when I reach uh, UK, I, uh, from from the from from, sorry, <laughs> I have the little one here <laughs> who refused to sleep. <laughs> oh, good, good. So oh, hello. <laughs> so when I when I'm in UK, um, I went. I've been sent from from London to the temporary camp in Wakefield. So. There is somehow, because I've been told by the doctor who did the DNC to me to do a pregnancy test again after three weeks to make sure that I'm uh, my pregnancy hormone clear. So I went to the clinic inside the temporary camp there. So I met this lovely nurse. Her name is Lucy. So she somehow also recognized something with me because I just can't stop crying. And this is actually because I have lost one of my sons last four years ago. This is his picture here. And I never um, dare to share his picture before, but now I start to accept that uh, it's a grief period for me. So um, the nurse do the, some sort of like assessment that. I'm actually having this briefing and I have depression and also due to my uh, domestic abuse, that toxic relationship before I have PTSD, panic attack and anxiety. Somehow, because um, I've been trying to get pregnant badly when I lost my son. So she, she asked me to try a medicine, which is, I become skeptical about that. I... I know in my country, this uh, the moment you you've been asked to take a mental health medicine, you are been labeled as a crazy person. So I, I I refuse because I'm not crazy. I don't want to be called crazy. The medicine is the sign that I'm crazy. But somehow she she just asked me, "Can you just give me a favor?" And I was like someone who can't say no. So I just like, uh, okay, because she's nice, but she approached me in the way that I could not imagine actually, because she asked me and then let, let her know about, about the medicine. And she explained to me what the medicine will help me, uh, to help me to help me with the low mood, with the uh, depressions, all these things. And I was just like, I never experienced this kind of explanation even to well, with the nurse, even a doctor back in my country. We just like not, non, cannot ask questions. We just need to accept whatever they give. So that's it. So we just go to the pharmacy. So the explanation is, is really make me understand why I need to took the medicine. So when I tried the first time the medicine, I was feeling, start to feeling good after four days. <laughs> Before that, I was struggling, but she was really nice and kind. She told me, uh, one, I think you really need extra help. The moment you move to your, you move from the temporary camp, please go to GP. Uh, and then I just like, what is GP? Um, my country, we don't have this kind of GP MIPI thing. So I have no idea about that. So she said in UK, we normally have... Uh, practice uh, uh, something like health practitioner, something like that called GP. So every person in UK need to have GP. So, and then please talk to the doctor about my mental health conditions. Um, I need to tell, I need to be open and they will do some assessment on me. So I got my first uh, address with, with my partner to Barnsley. So that the first thing I did. And, and also the, the, Next step that I do that I went to refugee council in Barnsley. This is actually the place, a uh, one stop. Actually, I can say that who what really really helped me to get more more information about what I've been struggling about my situation that time. I went to the women's group, and then there been a guest speaker talking about domestic abuse, talking about financial abuse that I just come to know abuse is not only on physical 
is only also on psychological, emotion and mental health situation is kind of like effect of that. So if so if I wanted to pregnant again, so I need to feel to take care of myself that that's what they told me so because I really trying to get pregnant somehow when I no. uh, uh. <laughs> there is an episode that I will skip it so um, and on to 2020 I managed to get pregnant again but I, I, I still in the situation that I'm having this uh, PTSD and depressions badly so I start to screaming to my doctor asking for help and the beautiful part is next next slide rose the beautiful part is my gp was i think for my own i'm lucky to have a very good gp i when i in the leads i from Bansley, i moved uh, um to leads and I got pregnant when I was in Leeds and I got this very nice GP and the doctor really care, really, really, um, I mean, um, want interested to, to know what I need. So what happened, I, I they assigned me to a midwife, to the normal midwife. That one, that one also, I come to know that the terms midwife in my country will, will never have midwife. So I don't under, not really understand, but then the the GP midwife, we talk about our ment my mental health condition. She suggests that I really need a specialist midwife. So I've been referred to my midwife, especially midwife in the mental health, uh, called Hannah, and she's a very lovely person. I like her from the first sight. Even, even though that time when I was pregnant, it was a lockdown. It was lockdown. So I'm basically due to my mental health condition. I'm being locked down myself for long before the lockdown. So somehow Hannah really helped me to go through my pregnancy. She have referred me to a perinatal uh, services. Uh, perinatal team, which is I have my own uh, doctor who helping me with with more more things, and also I've been referred to children's center and also social care, and all. Um, somehow I wanted to share here that next next slide, please, Rose. So during the lockdown. Um, Hannah been been referred me to a few things, and also because I'm an asylum seeker, I was in the shared accommodation before, so I received a leaflet from Leeds City Council, and then there is a volunteer called, named Rosie, um, who been uh, who been <laughs> attended me that time. So that's that's I come to know about Rose Antinata class. What I wanted to say, even though she's doing a volunteer during the lockdown specifically, she been with me um, while I was in my low, low down situations. And she never give up on me since I, since on my first trimester, she'd been talking about Rose Antonetta class. I'm not really interested because it's not something that I used to know because I've been pregnant uh, six times before. So I'm not really know about this Antonetta care, but she keep, she keep proposing me, keep, keep trying on me and then while my while on my seven month I agree <laughs> on the third trimester already. So what what's the most thing that I shocked actually the first first time I joined Rose class I come to know that there is a different labor positions which is I never know in my life. I've been giving birth for all my my children on the same same side lay down on the bed. And be scolded for making noise, uh, and, and no motivation at all. So I was like uh, really depressed. You already in pain to give birth, and then the staff just get scolded at you for making noise. So it's really not helpful. What happened when I gave birth to this boy, <laughs> baby? It was a really beautiful sunny day, and I want to highlight there is a student midwife who assisting the midwife that day. 
she's she's really um in i mean boost us boost a spiritual in me because i in my life when i give birth i i never been told like come on one you can do it you are amazing come on push it i was like try i was in the middle of pushing when i heard that she's saying that i just stopped and look at her i can't believe this this is is this real so this is a student midwife who 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 so touched me i mean someone who never experienced a uh, a uh, uh, motivation something as something someone talked to me like that it's it's really shocked me actually but somehow i just managed within within few minutes i just managed to push my baby out and she just helped me a lot make me hot chocolate give me some biscuit oh my god it's really amazing feeling i never have even last time for seven time give birth it was first and last, well, it was only with uh, with my eight pregnant baby I got it. Next, please, Rose. So this is I wanted to share. This is how I look like the most different on my face when I gave birth to my uh, other son in 2016. I was really miserable, bruises all over, all over the face. And on 2020, I was happy. And <laughs> this little boy have a Christmas hat. Next, Rose. So after all the support that I receive I'm I'm start to find myself and I have found a few groups and this is one of one of the one of the group that I joined called Diverse Mom group with the perinatal uh, leads uh, health services uh, I did video and podcast with them and on 2021 we won the national service user award uh, next rose and i'm also uh helping other moms actually promoting uh, other moms in rose and internet class and maternity stream to play football because i feel like it's really helped like when i learn how when I learn to kick the ball, I learn to focus and distract my mind to the ball. <laughs> yes, you also want to talk. Okay. So this is... Uh, <laughs> so this is one of uh, many... I, Okay. <laughs> he's singing, he's happy. So I just want to share here the, the things that I've been created with and with other people also creating awareness. Okay, Wan, I think that it might be hard for people to hear. Do you want me to just read this last one for you? Okay, do you want to just mute yourself, Wan? Sorry? Just, okay. Do you want to mute yourself and I'll just read it for you so people can hear. So just to end for one, this is her, her last stage. She has been absolutely incredible at um, uh, helping me to raise awareness and to give um, uh, talks to people um, in lots of different situations. And I think that, as you can tell, she's quite an inspirational woman who has been through an awful hard time. But now even the people in antenatal class call her the wise woman because she's such a fantastic mom. So thank you very much, Wan, for uh, sharing that with us. Um, I'd just like to, we haven't got too much time, but I would just like to uh, move on to share a few more things with you. Um, I thought we could just maybe have a little focus on maybe the barriers people might face. Um, a huge one is a fear to trust. Wan had great support and look how she knew every person's name. That really struck me. But many people are fearful to trust. They're used to not being trusted themselves and they're scared to trust others. They're scared in case information is shared, particularly with the home office, and that they might be deported. Um, they lack knowledge on the system here and they need help to understand it because accessing the NHS is complex. Um, they may struggle to register with GPs because many GPs ask for ID, even though this goes directly against NHS England's policy. And of course, if you don't have a GP, you don't get a midwife. 
Um, I've also put there a dentist because whatever we do now, we are really, really struggling to get NHS dentists for any people that we work with. Another problem people face is booking appointments, particularly during the pandemic. Now, all of us may find that hard, but if you have English as an additional language and the receptionist don't use interpreters, it's a nightmare. Those who may need to travel to appointments or even to the hospital for birth may not have money to do so. And that can be a reason why they don't attend your clinics. Sometimes, sadly, people face unwelcoming atmospheres. It might be worth reflecting on what's it like when people come to see you. Forms are oh, and letters are a nightmare. Again, imagine if you don't speak English, how difficult they could be to complete. So language itself is a huge problem. But one of the problems is that people, health professionals, I'm afraid, don't always use interpreters. Everyone has a human right to be understood, but frequently interpreters are not used. And I remember speaking at a conference for the RCOG um, and asking consultants there, why? Why aren't they used? This was with a mum who'd had a three-day labour and had had no interpreter, though she only spoke Spanish, and they got informed consent using sign language for a proposed caesarean. And I question whether that's possible. We asked why, and the discussion led to that actually many health professionals aren't trained to use interpreters, so maybe don't feel confident to do so. And it does take time, and they feel they want to save the NHS money. But actually, what they don't realise is that it puts mums and babies' lives at risk. And I reckon it puts health professionals at risk, because if you don't get proper informed consent, you're leaving yourself open um, to problems. I said this to the consultants and I was quite shocked when one turned around and said, well, they're not likely to sue us anyway. How shocking is that? Does that mean it doesn't matter? And it made me feel, do I have to get women to sue you? That's not how I want to work. But actually, maybe that is something that needs to be sued. That's really scary, isn't it? How sad. One thing uh, I thought I'd share with you is we've just done some research with the White Ribbon, Ribbon Alliance about what women want for maternity. And these were the three things that the women from our group said. They wanted to feel safe. Now, can you imagine that being the first thing that women said? If you ask British women, they wouldn't consider that about maternity because we take it for granted. But they wanted to feel safe. They wanted to feel supported and they wanted to be part of a supportive community. Another huge barrier, I'm afraid, is charging for maternity care. Women who are refused asylum are chargeable for all their maternity appointments as well as the birth. And the fear of the bills can um, put women off seeing their midwife. If they have a debt of over £500, which they can do from just a few appointments, that can be reported to the Home Office and can affect any future applications they make for asylum. And I want to question, what's the point in charging pregnant women who can't pay? Surely we're just putting mums and babies' lives at risk. Now, we've tried to overcome this locally and worked with our overseas department in the local trust. Um, and we formed a template letter, which when you look at this presentation, you can read in detail. But basically what the essence of it is, is the person makes a payment plan. They tick the box, which is what they're asked to do. But they offer to pay one penny a month in cash because they have no bank account. Now, the trust doesn't accept cash payments and then they write off the bill. It's been fantastic because it's meant as a result, um, the women have then felt confident to continue seeing their midwife when otherwise they would not have done. So I thought I'd share with that with you. But also to say that the overseas department said to us, if health professionals informed them that somebody was destitute and wouldn't be able to pay, then they wouldn't raise the invoice in the first place. So I think that's something important message in a really positive way you could help women. 
Just briefly, I'd like to talk about the antenatal class that I teach. Um, it's something you could easily, I hope, set up. Um, it's particularly aimed at women seeking asylum and refugees, and it's a free drop-in rolling program um, where we have interpreters, a creche, and a clothing exchange. The most important thing, I think, is that we provide a safe environment for people to share their hopes, fears, and experience experiences. And as a result, we discuss loads of issues. For example, should men be, be at the birth? Will I have to give birth alone? Lots of comparisons between what happens back home, which women think of as normal as they would, and how it's different in the UK. We help women to understand they have choices here and give them confidence to believe in themselves. And I believe the impact of the classes on women from other countries is greater than on women from the UK. And the reason being, they're not trained to conform. So when they go into hospital, they don't get on the bed just when it's shown to them. They actually have active births, just as, as Wan described. So can we meet the needs, health needs of migrant women? Maybe no, you're like my little friend Ewan with his head in the sand. It's too hard. I know you're really busy people and you've got an awful lot on your plate. Or maybe you could, but how? A lot of it is basic things that midwives, I believe, naturally have. And that is to smile, to be welcoming with your body, your words and your tone and to be genuine because people know if you're being genuine or not. Be kind because kindness saves lives. Explain terms like confidentiality because they won't know what it means. Go out of your way to build trusting relationships and make time to listen. Have those extra long appointments if the woman doesn't speak English as a first language. See the person, not the problem. And ask people how they really are. Signpost to services and know the good services that are in your area. Do the RCM module that I did help write on caring for pregnant women seeking asylum and CPD for, for your CPD. And join me and many others, over 240 organisations, for the Together with Refugees campaigns. I'm sad to say our government has got a really awful immigration bill they're trying to push through at the moment, which is very unwelcoming. Uh, and we're trying to um, actually um, campaign against this. You can look more about that on Together with Refugees. There's really good resources. I haven't time to go into detail here, which you can use. Um, one is um, just launched Maternity Stream Sanctuary, a great overview. But the ones from the Refugee Council give you clear information about what women are entitled to. One is for women themselves and the other is for you at health professionals because the asylum system is extremely complex and they can really help you to help women through it. I've also done a guide on facilitating antenatal classes for people seeking asylum and refugees that you can look at. And lastly here, maternity action film on the impact of charging. So I'd just like to share with you three main lessons I've learned from working with inspirational women. And that is one, never underestimate the power of a woman or the love of a mother for her children or the capacity of a woman who has suffered to help others who are suffering, suffering because mums are amazing. Okay, and I've got some resource references you can use there. Thanks very much. Over to you now, Sue. Okay, thank you so much. Rose and Juan, that was, that was really inspirational. And thank you so much to both of you. And I think you've given us some really good tips. What I'm pulling out is this very woman caring for women very strongly, but also one story really illustrated what can be done and, and the little things of, of touching somebody and, and making sure that you kind of you're connecting with them. We're going to come back because there are some questions coming through. But while I've got Jacqueline there, I'm going to put her on the spot now. And, and I think this, this is just to sort of round off the presentations. Um, but this will be, remember, this will be available after the time. And we have got some questions we'll be able to answer. And we are going to run over the eight o'clock. So don't, you won't miss anything. Now, I'm, I'm really so pleased that Jacqueline Trainer from Scotland has, is joining us. And this is in connection, again, is connected with refugees and asylum seekers in that 
and I, I won't go into the government's kind of processes. I don't know if anyone signed up to, to provide a home for people, but I know that's going on at the moment. But I know people are trying and have been very desperate to try and help the people in Ukraine in some way or another. And this Jacqueline and her team have come up with a, a really special, very woman-to-woman, mum-to-mum way of helping women and families in Ukraine. So welcome, Jacqueline. Now the screen is yours to share your work with us. Thank you very much, ladies. Um, And it's lovely to be here tonight. Um, I was not... In, in the beginning, so I am not the founder of this group. So the group is pre-loved um, Scottish, uh, pre-loved baby boxes for Ukraine. Now, I don't know if you all know, but here in Scotland, every pregnant woman is entitled to a baby box. And the baby boxes are great. It is a box, but it's big enough for a baby to sleep in. It comes with a mattress and a sheet and lots of other things that are really useful for mum and baby in those first few weeks. So a few mums and grands in Airdrie, which is fairly close to where I live in central Scotland, came up with this idea that what we could do is collect these boxes back in again, refill them and get them over to the Ukrainian borders. So what we were looking for was other mums and grands, I'm in the grand category, um, to ask for the donations and accept them into their homes where we would sort them and then get them shipped out. So two weeks ago yesterday, I said, oh yeah, I'm absolutely up for, for doing that. I can ask for these boxes. I used to, um, I I was a midwife and then I taught antenatal classes and baby classes. So I've got a good connection of mums that would have these boxes. Um, So I was happy to do that. I then thought, do I really want them all in my house? So um, I asked, we've, we've got a couple of empty shop units near where I live. So I asked the landlord if we could have one. Long story short, In two weeks, I've gone from saying I will accept a few boxes into my house to coordinating a warehouse full of baby boxes and boxes full of baby things and things for mums, um, lots of uh, feminine hygiene products, medicine, um, lots of baby things, thousands of nappies and baby wipes and everything. The generosity of local people has been overwhelming. Um, It's been quite humbling to see how generous everybody is being. Um, People are, people were saying that, you know, don't go into Asda because they've got no underwear left because everybody's bought it and given it to us. Um, There's no pajamas left. There's no baby wipes. There's no nappies. Um, so it has been truly humbling, um, but we've now hit a slight glitch because we are the victims of our own success in that we have managed to um, get so much stuff that it's coming in an awful lot quicker than we can get it back out again. So. Our first truck has arrived um, on the Ukrainian border with all these boxes in, which has been amazing. Um, A couple of vans went yesterday and we've got another lorry going tomorrow, but we still have warehouses full of um, these boxes. So we're currently looking for hauliers that will help us to get the stuff to where it needs to go. Um, and we've had to, we've had to pause donations because we can't physically cope with everything that we've got. But it has come from a place of women, mums, grands wanting to help other women and understanding what it's like to give birth, but not understanding what it's like 
to have to flee your country. So a lot of it is if we are doing something to help, then we're not sitting watching it on the news because actually watching it on the news is is far too upsetting for us all. So everybody has got involved um, and it has been truly, truly amazing. But as I say, we're now struggling to get all this stuff over to where we need it to go. So if anybody knows of any huge haulage company that would like to give us a 40 ton truck, that would be really, really, really useful. <laughs> that's great, Jacqueline. <laughs> I think that's really, that's really, I mean, that's inspiring because it shows, and I think all of the, the presentations this evening have illustrated what the power of women, and I think Rose put it beautifully, you know, women, woman to woman, knowing what needs to be done and trying to help. I suspect there might be, you know, there might be people in the UK that could do with a box or two as well, because it is a fantastic, the Scottish idea is such a fantastic idea, mm -hmm. full stop. So um, stand by, Jacqueline, I, but I'm sure there'll be a haulier. Perhaps um, if we have a, one of our audience has a, a, a partner, or perhaps one of our audience is indeed a haulier. There's some boxes to go. Yes, and there's, there's a lot of boxes to go. <laughs> um, but yes, it has been, it, it's been great. And a lot of these mums have refilled the boxes themselves before they handed them in. Fabulous, that's so, so fabulous. And, and the messages that are being written on these boxes. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that has happened is our local primary school have drawn us pictures to cover the windows in the, the shop unit that we're using. Um, so it's it's been a real community thing. Um, but we, we were in the local paper and described as uh, an army of mums, <laughs> which um, basically I, sums it up. I think I have to say that's the best army there will be in this context and I, I and I suspect there's going to be a, there well I know there's going to be a lot of time and there's going to be a lot of rebuilding needed in that part of the world and this this is the sort of thing that's going to help people kind of nourish them their their sort of well-being so thank you so much and to the whole team for doing that um now we have we do have some questions you may get a question too Jacqueline so stand by we have had some glitches, as I said, but you remember we have got some questions coming through. And Jade, hi Jade, says, evening all. This is of huge interest as my literature review is on this. So there's one a student quite interested to take some of the evidence. So remember the um, references that were on Rose's presentation will be available to you as a slideshow, but also look out for the resources sheet as well, Jade. And then Chaya who's an MVP lead, says that's why continuity of care is so vital. It's all about building a trusting relationship with someone. And I think one really illustrated that, having that connection with nurses in that context. But then the student midwife, that was such a lovely story, one, to share. So that we're getting, I'm going through the comments at the moment before the questions. Um, someone was querying what a GP was. So there's been some discussion amongst the audience about that and then Radhika Iakaban Radhika I find easier to say she says well done one is lovely it's lovely that you use, use your life experience to help others so that was Radhika saying well done and then Claire Dale hi Claire says hearing one story makes me realize how easy it is to take NHS services for granted. I'm so glad you had a positive birth experience here in the UK. Now, forgive me, I'm turning away because I had a screen where the questions are coming up. So that's why I'm turning away. Then Lola, hi Lola, says I have the interpreter thing so many times, exclamation mark. I looked after a woman that had interpreter needed at all appointments. I was about to take her to theatre for a cesarean section. She'd not had an interpreter and she'd been in the hospital for three days. Now, can you imagine bit how scary that must be to not be able to communicate? Because though you can tell a lot from body language, it's, you need the words to understand. And then we have Chaya. Hi, Chaya. 
She says, we've met with refugee and asylum seekers in our local area. The women are in, in hotels and simply want a community kitchen so they can go and prepare food that they can eat. So it's so important, especially in these days with morning sickness, etc. And would love to know if this be, has been set up anywhere. I don't know. Would you know that, Rose? Is that a question for you? Community kitchens? Um, hi. Um, firstly, it is a huge problem of uh, people in hotels um, at the moment in, in our city. Um, in Leeds, we've got them in five hotels with over 100 people in each. Um, and I did have um, one mum who was in for the uh, hotel for the whole of the pregnancy, went and gave birth from there and three days two days later returned after an emergency cesarean with twins and then moved the next day to a new city how scary is that now as for community kitchens it's been interesting because it's definitely is a problem the food is always uh it's not what people really want and um i know in certain areas um in in my city they have had a, a local community where people can go and actually cook their own food um mm -hmm. it's not every day but it's just sometimes to actually and that makes that feels like home you know mm -hmm. uh and it makes a big difference to people when they can do that but um it's something perhaps local communities could do to offer the space and maybe help with the ingredients because people don't have the money um, to be actually just to cook something, maybe even share a meal together. Because mm. eating is very much a social thing. So the preparing of food and eating together is, uh, is really important for women, quite apart from the fact that part of your kind of lifestyle for all of us, if we're divorced from our normal food, you don't feel right, no. if you, you know, and some the sort of um, the food that they'll be provided with is very alien. Yeah, lots alien of chips. Food. Yeah, <laughs> and chips are fine in, in small doses. But after all, it's not very healthy, is it? Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got Amanda. Hi, Amanda. She says, I've had a uh, Labour Ward lead tell me to forget the interpreter as we were busy and had to get it with it. We had to get on with it as the lady lead it needs a cesarean section. I would say that she would need an interpreter more personally. Mm. I don't know. Even Jack Jacqueline's nodding away sagely. Gosh, that's that's not good. Um, and then we've got a lot of comments. And I, I must say a big thank you to Jenny Hall, who's fielding all the comments to me on here and typing very quickly as comments come in. And thank you to the audience for being such a, a lively audience. Not so many questions, more comments, but they're, they're really helpful. And then uh, there's a question. If there's one thing midwives could do to improve care for refugee women, what would it be? And I shall throw that to one first what would you one thing from a midwife that you would like i would say uh hi so, so thank you for that um i would say that a care a feel a feeling because we i'm i was skeptical i have struggling with my mental health i don't trust anyone but the way that she approached even all the nurse that i, I i'm quite lucky i feel lucky actually that i met all this nice and beautiful person that who really touched me. To be honest, when my midwife called me, how are you on today? What do you eat something? I cried. I broke down in my life for 42 years old. Even my own family oh. never asked me what I'm eating, how I'm <laughs> feeling during the pregnancy. So this is the thing that I being motivated with to do this awareness at Rose, mm. especially from the basic line, like a student midwife, that what what you are doing a work, a blessing work, who, who touch a lost mother like me, which is I can't, I cannot be connection with my other children before when I was pregnant, but my midwife have referred me to the course like baby step. And for the first time during my pregnancy experience, I feel connected to my baby when I joined the, the course. I, I can feel him. That, that's the things that how a work of midwife with a patient, with a care, with a love. I mean, love, your job is, is making a, a happy mom. And this is what we need. A happy mom created a happy baby. So mm. people keep focusing how we're going to save the future by creating mm. a good 
children, but people forget how we should guide this mom out from the darkness to lead them out, guide them. We need a whole hand, a real hand, like my nurse and my midwife touch me. So I believe it will be the same methodology that can help other women as well, other moms specifically. <laughs> Thank you, Juan. Oh, that, you, you put that so beautifully. Because as you were talking, I was thinking, I think what she's needing is love because that's what it is and it's about care. <laughs> about caring if you've eaten today. I don't know if Rose or Jacqueline can top that. Um, I, don't think I, can top, <laughs> I don't think I can top it, but I would add to it as midwives, education, educate yourselves. Don't be frightened of what you don't know, you know, but um, find out about it. Use the resources that we gave. And if you don't know, ask women. They're, they've got the knowledge and experience and listen to them. But if you can educate yourself, People need you. You know, they really need you now to understand them. And to do that, you need to educate yourself. And it sounds like there's quite a lot of education with understanding this, the whole system, which is very complex. And there's lots of information, again, on the resource sheet, including the um, RCM position statement on uh, caring for migrant women, which gives you some of the, the background for this. But it, I'd agree with Rose, it is very complex. And women... I mean, women don't even know the system because it's not always clear to them, which is awful. Because imagine being at the power of some system that you don't actually understand, you don't know the rules of. Like coming into a hospital, you don't know what you're meant to do. How about Jacqueline? Have you got anything that you, what, one thing a midwife would you'd like to see? I would, what I would like to see is more midwives being able to care for the women the way they need to be cared for. I was only a midwife for a very short period of time. I don't, I don't know if it's because I went into midwifery too late and I was too old to change. <laughs> but the, the inability to be able to care for the women the way I wanted to was something that I just didn't enjoy about the job. There was too much focus on note writing and medicine and mm. all important things, but care seemed to come at the bottom of the pile. And I think in this instance, care has to be at the very top. Absolutely. We have to remember why we're here. Yeah. Actually. Fantastic. What, what fab speakers we have this evening. I have got two or three questions. We've got um, Claire Chayton. So difficult for women alone who've had a cesarean section then return to a refugee home with no assistance. Can you imagine after a couple of days to have to care for themselves and the baby, including food shopping, cooking, when all they want to do is just rest? And Amanda, she, I always think of how I would feel if I was vulnerable in another country and not able to understand what those around me were saying yeah but what now what's that called uh walking in someone else's shoes very important to a skill to think about and then uh cl one you've brought tears to my eyes this is cl i think she's glad of it i'm so glad you have such a positive experience and that's leslie hinson and, and showing you care matters and she sent some hearts and everything so I think that, I mean, I think this has been a really special evening and I'm really so grateful to all three of you for your contribution. And I know the audience will be so as well, because this is a really important issue. We are going to return to it, I can promise you, because it is so important as, it, as, as things unfold over the next little while. But I'm going to have to bring it a bit to a close because... The time is without us. And I always say this about the maternity hour. All this goes quicker than the hour. I don't know what goes on with the clocks. But I want to say a big thank you to Rosemary, Juan and Jacqueline and um, Juan's little boy, who was such a little star. <laughs> He's an absolute precious, absolutely lovely. Remember, you'll have the resources. This is for the audience uh, on the website and on Facebook on Friday. And don't forget to book. <laughs> 
We've got the maternity midwifery hour next week, and we've got Joanne Crawford and Leslie Page, who are cleared for takeoff. You'll have to find out what that means next week. We've got the All-Ireland Midwifery and Maternity Festival on the 29th of March in Dublin. Now, remember, that's live, face-to-face and online. So if you haven't booked, you need to book for that. And we've got Manchester uh, in June on the 21st. And, of course, April, we've got in... Now, where are we? Birmingham. Birmingham. Now, there's a good place to go. Fantastic speakers, I have to tell you. But in the meantime, I have to say good night. I want to say a big thank you to everyone, our lovely speakers who've been so generous with their time and their experience and their love from every little scrap. Thank you to them. Please, to the audience, stay safe and take care of yourselves. We'll see you same time next week. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.